This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Four minutes after the hour, it's Wednesday, October 27th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be with you once again this morning here on the Relevant Radio Network and the Relevant Radio app. Remember that on Wednesdays, we pray to St. Joseph, something that we can continue to do here in this year of St. Joseph. Now, in the upcoming month of November, just uh, days away, we remember the holy souls in purgatory, our friends and family who have passed from this earth earthly life. They need your prayers and we want to pray for them with you. Join us here on Relevant Radio November 2nd through the 10th as we pray a special novena for your departed loved ones during uh, the daily mass at noon central, the chaplet of divine mercy with Drew Mariani at 3 central, and the family rosary across America with Father Rocky at 7 p.m. central. All you have to do is go to relevantradio.com souls to submit Submit your list of all of your departed loved ones. It can be as many as you want, all of them who need your prayers. Now, we start each hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And every morning we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Now, coming up in just a few minutes, you're going to meet Hope Miller, the teenage granddaughter of the late legendary pro-life champion Joe Shidler, who's following in her grandfather's footsteps, promoting and defending life. A little bit later at the bottom of the hour, we'll bring Rome to home with Ashley Narona for the latest news from the Vatican on the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Plus, we'll also bring you another episode of Glenn's Story Corner, All that and much more coming up this hour here on Morning Air. As we do every day, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. The Apostle St. Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Apostle St. Paul echoes the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who told his disciples in a parable that they should always pray and not lose heart. 
Prayer is powerful, and our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to pray to him to thank the Lord from our heart. It could be something as simple as just praying the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You can also pray, of course, through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, and pray the Holy Rosary, especially here in this month of October, the month of Respect Life. You can either pray uh, the entire uh, rosary or you can just pray a part of it if if you can, but just uh, make a start. Even just a Hail Mary can be very, very powerful. Prayer is a force as real as terrestrial gravity. So pray with great confidence. Jesus, I trust in you. Now I want to talk about one of the reasons that I believe the tide is turning towards the culture of life, why life is winning in America. One of the most compelling reasons that life is winning is the pro-life generation, the youth of America. Young people understand that a third of their peers don't even exist anymore. They are the generation that will end abortion. I want to share with you a little clip from uh, my documentary film, The 40 Film, from The March for Life. I just feel so happy and, and uplifted to be around everybody who has you know, the same ideals, who wants to see life and wants to imagine a future without abortion. It's really awesome, <laughs> awe-inspiring to see hundreds of thousands, literally, of young people marching in D.C., marching on the West Coast, marching across the country, going to rallies, and it's because They believe that human life is nothing more important than human life. There's no greater cause to fight for. It's all about the youth. It's all about us. This is such an energetic and vibrant generation. And for us to be here, it just kind of goes to show that we we are the pro-life generation. We're going to end abortion. A third of my generation is now missing. Um, And people that um, could have been my best friends or people that I could have changed my life or changed this world are no longer here. Um, So it's personal. I can't ignore the fact that it's, it's going on, and it's been going on for 40 years. I need to do something about it. Like, I can't just stand there and like not do anything about these people, these babies who are being, being killed for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Powerful young voices, the future begins now, and the future of the pro-life movement has already begun. Joining us now in studio is a future leader of the pro-life movement, Hope Miller. Hope is the teenage granddaughter of the late, great, legendary pro-life champion, Joe Shadler, the founder of the Pro-Life Action League. She's following in her grandfather's footsteps, promoting and defending life. Good morning, Hope. Uh, Welcome to Morning Air. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for getting up early. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me out here. I'm honored to be out here. Uh, Yeah, no, bright and early today, but... It's, it's an honor. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's a joy to be with you. You know, you and I met, I kind of just stumbled upon you as I was leaving uh, the uh, Northwest Families March for Life uh, a few weeks ago in suburban Chicago in Palatine, and I was quite impressed that uh, you took the time to actually uh, thank me for mentioning your grandfather, Joe Shadler, and uh, that, that was the reason that we were able to connect, so uh, thanks for stopping me. 
Of course. No, it's actually interesting to see that even though my grandfather's gone, he is still helping me get to where I need to be on this planet. <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, in fact, can you share with us, uh, before we talk about your grandfather, uh, Joe Shadler, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so my name is Hope Miller. Uh, I have been part of the pro-life movement my entire life with my grandparents being Joe and Ann Shidler. I attended many, many events growing up. Uh, But when I was probably about 13 years old, I decided to look into what I've been fighting against, not because I wanted to be a big face in the movement or anything like that, but because I wanted to know what was going on in our nation and why it was one of the most controversial issues for the past uh, 48 years, I believe now. And uh, with that, I found a passion for the movement and since then have taken on an independent role for the unborn. And so I have continued to do activism and speaking out and finding um, you know, my passion and voice and my message that I want to get out to the world. So you were around the pro-life movement since the time you were literally a baby? They, they probably took you to these rallies when they were carrying you around in diapers. Yeah, yes, I was there. <laughs> wow, that's, that's so unbelievable. Your grandfather, Joe Scheidler, um, he had a, a tremendous impact uh, on myself. Uh, as I told you at the rally, if it wasn't for Joe, I wouldn't even be speaking uh, about uh, the culture of life. And I know he also touched many, many others. He, he was responsible for many people becoming pro-life and becoming pro-life leaders. What about him do you remember the most uh, as his granddaughter? What what impressed you the most about your grandfather? Um, in regards to being a grandfather, how caring he loving and loving he was towards us young kids. But as a person, he was admirable in so many different ways. I don't think there's one that I can specifically uh, say was the one thing that, you know, inspired me so much. I think it was the fact that he was such a faithful and holy man, but he also had so much courage and discipline. Uh, he lived every day by the saying, ora labora, which is Latin for pray and work, um, which helped him in so many ways and the, you know, something I'm, I myself am trying to live by now. But yeah, I would say his faith, his courage, and his discipline is something I, I really admire and truly remember about him. He was also uh, humble, and he had a sense of humor. I remember he used to joke, you know, uh, you can call me the father of the pro-life movement. Don't call me the grandfather. (laughs) Yeah, and then he ended up being the godfather. So, you know, settle in the middle. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, When you think of Joe, what are you most proud of his accomplishments? He he did so much with the Pro-Life Action League and as a national leader. Oh, my goodness. Um... There's so many. I think that it's truly impressive the way that he touched every single person he met. You know, I think um, a a while back, I think I was about 13 years old, uh, my grandma told me, you know, I was discouraged that I hadn't changed somebody's mind. I was debating somebody about abortion and I was discouraged. And my grandma told me, you know, it's about planting the seed and the seed, you know, somebody else can water it later on, but you need to plant the seed. And I think it's truly impressive how my grandpa was able to talk to so many different people. And, you know, everyone who I talked to, uh, you know, who talks about him says that they touched him in a way that nobody else has. They made him feel like really, really important. And that inspired a lot of people to speak up and have a voice for the voiceless. And so I think, I think that being able to connect with people on such a personal level, even though he has only met them once or twice, planting the seed. When you started looking into uh, what the pro-life movement actually meant, did you get a chance to actually talk uh, to the authority, to your grandfather about it? (laughs) My grandpa was my mentor. Uh, He taught me 
my like everything I know basically. And uh, he took me to so many different events where I was able to speak out. He introduced me to so many wonderful people. He uh, he he really got me going. And so yes, I was able to talk to him and get loads of advice from him and uh, encouragement and inspiration. When you think about it, and now that you've had a chance to reflect uh, for a number of years uh, about authentically being a pro-life uh, deep down in your heart, why? Uh, how would you describe why you're pro-life? I believe that every person has value and dignity from the moment of conception until natural death, and that needs to be restored. I think that it has caused a lot of issues in today's society, the lack of respect for life, and if we can bring that back, I feel as though so many of our issues will be solved. So ultimately, I'm pro-life because every person has value and dignity and should be treated as such. But ending abortion would bring so much good. And so it needs to go. Our special guest uh, in studio here uh, at uh, Relevant Radio this morning on Morning Air is Hope Miller, the granddaughter of the great pro-life champion, Joe Shadler, the founder of the Pro-Life Action League. We're talking about uh, the youth of America, uh, the young people, the generation that uh, I believe is going to end uh, abortion. Uh, when you think about the, the youth, uh, your fellow uh, teenagers and young people, uh, do you think that m most people uh, understand the importance of this issue or do you think there's still a lot of people that really don't understand what's going on? There's a lot of people that don't understand what's going on and then there's a lot of people who have misconceptions of what's going on and then there's also a lot of people who are still unfortunately pro-choice and that is why my goal is to educate the youth of America on the value and dignity of all human life starting at the very beginning. I think that a lot of people if they were just educated on what abortion was would change their minds on abortion and be pro-life. Most people just have no idea what a, what abortion actually is, what an abortion looks like, what it does to the baby, what it does to the mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of that and a lot of just um, mis misconceptions, I guess. The, the media really twists abortion to seem as this good and empowering thing for women. And, of course, girls around my age think that that's a wonderful thing. It's women empowerment. Sounds great. But what they don't understand is that it's not actually great. It's really, really bad. And so to educate them on what it really is and it, what it does to women, especially mentally as well, because people tend to leave that out. Now, you homeschool, is correct? Yes. Uh, you'd be about a junior in high school? Yes. Junior in high school. So you don't get a chance every day to be rubbing shoulders with really, really pro-choice uh, young uh, women, uh, other teenagers. But I'm sure you've run across them uh, in recent years. Uh, have you had any experiences being around uh, you know, pro-choice young kids? So I don't really have like any close friends who are pro-choice and that's just by chance. Don't really know why, but uh, but I do, I have had lots and lots of encounters with uh, pro-choice youth. Uh, specifically, there's a group at the high school near my house and uh, they're constantly back and forth with me talking and debating and things like that. In January, I actually had a debate with a girl from the high school. Uh, she's obviously pro-choice, and she and I were debating on the personhood of the unborn. Was this a formal debate, or was just the two of you having no, it, a it conversation? Was, it was, we, we gave ourselves about a week to prep, and she brought her notes, and I brought mine, and it's it's on my podcast. And Was there anybody watching? Yeah, well, I had—okay, so it was in a studio at my church, and it was— 
the only person who was there was the filmer, which was one of my friends. Uh, and then a lot of people were watching it live on Instagram. And then a lot of people were listening to the debate on the podcast. How did it go? What did you learn from that experience? Um, a lot. It, it went really well. And I really uh, appreciated the fact that she came out and did it with me. Uh, what I learned was, okay, so I never really looked at like the personhood of the unborn. So she believed life began at conception, but she didn't believe in the personhood of the unborn. So she brought all these facts about, you know, all these old readings about what personhood is and what characteristics. And she was saying the unborn didn't have them. And I was able to, you know, debate back and forth with her um, that the unborn did have them. And it was fascinating because I never thought of it that way and it was interesting and I learned a lot and it caused me to do some more research and things like that but overall the debate went really well. So what advice uh, would you give to other young kids uh, who might run into a situation like that maybe not in a podcast but in a classroom situation uh, where the teacher says obviously something that is uh, blatantly pro-choice uh, or kids uh, raise their hand and say that they think that abortion is just fine how, how do you respond if you're really pro-life so obviously don't cower away uh, because it might be uncomfortable to speak out against this but i'm sure being aborted is a lot more uncomfortable and so for these children we owe it to them to to stand up for them and speak out for them any chance that we get but to also remain respectful i feel like there's a lot of instances where uh debates on abortion can get kind of nasty. And so to remember that, yes, you have to speak out, you have to stand up, you gotta say something, uh, even if it's something tiny, just plant that seed, but to stay respectful and loving. And approach everything in a spirit of charity. Of course. Uh, what, what about uh, young kids uh, being uh, concerned that they might be canceled because they speak out for the unborn? Yeah, that's, that's very... Uh, it's honestly a concern of mine. And the way that I view it is just uh, same situation. We just, we owe it to them to do everything in our power to help these babies and the mothers. We know a lot of the times we're talking a lot about the babies, but the mothers too. We owe it to these mothers and these girls to save themselves from the horrid aftermath of abortion or anything to do with it. So we owe it to them to speak up against it, even if it means losing followers on social media or losing friends. If there's any young people listening to uh, our broadcast here this morning, uh, what would you say to them uh, to encourage the youth of America to to get involved, to do something, to take some action and, and stand up uh, to uh, defend life? Abortion over the years has caused many issues. Uh, one third of our generation is missing, and it it is from it has stemmed an issue of disrespect, right? Because we don't value or respect life at the very beginning. How can we respect it or any life or anything later on in life, right? So we have to start at the very beginning. And so you need to find your passion and cause. And with that comes courage. So like me, I did not want to speak up, <laughs> be like a big face for the movement. But when I started researching it, I realized it was a very unjust situation and it was a noble cause to fight for and then came my passion and then came my courage to stand up for this and so we need to stand up for it because our future is not going to be too great if this continues so it needs to end to save the lives of the babies but also to instill respect in humanity well, Hope, uh, obviously, um, you're aware that uh, the Supreme Court case, Roe v. Wade, could be overturned uh, in the upcoming months. In fact, uh, the, the court is going to start deciding on December 1st. Um, 
how do young people feel about what's going on? The fact that the whole thing could be uh, reversed uh, in in the next six months. I'm excited. <laughs> I think that you know it's going to cause issues, especially for like Illinois, because a lot of people are going to start coming to Illinois, and it's going to be like abortion central as well as like California and New York. It's going to be abortion central if if it goes back to the states, because people from all over will come here. Uh, but overall, I'm excited. But that means that our battle in Illinois and other more left-leaning states is about to get way worse, like really, really hard. And that's when we need our courage the most. You know, our battle is just beginning. I'm, I personally am very excited for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. I know there's a lot of people who are scared and don't want that, but I think for the betterment of our society, it needs to be overturned. One thing is to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, the the law, the legal case. Um, but do you think that one day uh, will come when abortion becomes unthinkable, uh, a day when abortion is as foreign as slavery uh, is today? No one in their right mind would think that slavery is okay. Yes, I am positive that that will come. That day will come. It might be way further in the future than we're, you know, that we would like. But I know that one day it will come because, uh, you know, abortion, Holocaust slavery all have one thing in common and that's dehumanizing a massive group of of human beings and killing them for it or treating them like less of a human and so we've learned each time that they are humans who have respect and or who have dignity and value and so one day abortion will also reach that point where we understand the value and dignity of the unborn just like we did the slaves and the jews well, Hope, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming down here to be with us in person, in studio here on Morning Air. I know your grandfather uh, is very, very proud of you. He's praying for you, and uh, I so much appreciate your your passion. Uh, uh, you you did very well. You you uh, you learned very well from uh, Joe Shadler. Yeah, I'm glad I did. I, he was a wonderful man. Still talking to him today, praying to him. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been a joy, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you are going to be a future uh, leader of the pro-life movement. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, Hope Miller, the teenage granddaughter of the late legendary pro-life champion Joe Shiler and the founder of the Pro-Life Action League. We need to take a break. When Morning Air continues, we'll go live to Rome to check in with Ashley Narona for the latest news from the Vatican on the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Don't you dare change that dial. Stay with us. There's much more to come as Morning Air continues after this timeout. Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 28 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air on a Wednesday morning. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I also want to remind you, and I do it week after week, that on Wednesdays we pray to St. Joseph, something that we can continue to do here, especially in this year dedicated to St. Joseph. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. Now it's time to bring Rome to home, as we do every Wednesday at this time. For the latest news from the Vatican, we go live this morning to Roma and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona. 
Ashley and her husband John founded the Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome. You can read more about them at johnandashley.org. Good morning, buongiorno, Ashley. Thanks again for being with us. Great to be with you again. Ciao, John. It is wonderful to be with you. Wonderful to bring Rome to home this morning. Absolutely. Uh, as uh, we do every week, uh, we always take a look at the Holy Father's Wednesday papal audience. Uh, what was the focus of Pope Francis uh, in this morning's audience? That's right, John. That's the catechesis that Pope Francis gives every week. And the focus, John, well, Pope Francis was reflecting on St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, a continued catechesis on that letter. And today, the Pope really talked about the importance of getting back to the basics. And of course, the most basic of all things in Christianity is love. He said it's love that attracts and that can change the human heart. So looking at that letter to the Galatians, uh, today the Pope said that message is really to return to what is essential to God himself, because it is God who gives life in Christ crucified. And to remember that in that encounter with Christ crucified, Jesus actually can change a person's heart. It, it can lead to understanding that the gospel is meant for everyone, not just for a privileged few. And so it's with that understanding that the life of the community generated through the spirit and the lives of Christians, of Christians can be renewed. And Christians in that way can then continue to engage in the spiritual battle. But Pope Francis said today that if anyone feels that they're struggling with this, as he said that they're losing that spiritual thread. He said that he encourages them to place oneself in front of Christ crucified in the Holy Mass or in adoration of the Holy Eucharist. And he continued on today, John, to reflect then on the fruits of the Holy Spirit that of course we read about in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. And Pope Francis said that all Christians are called to live out their baptismal calling, which leads to those fruits of the Spirit. Those fruits, of course, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today the Pope invited all faithful to read St. Paul's letter to the Galatians and then to reflect on our own behavior and ask that very poignant question, am I bearing those fruits? And uh, so that's a toughie, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, yeah, one thing is, yeah. you know, to to meditate on Scripture and to follow the Holy Father's advice and and read uh, St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, which, by the way, is, is very beautiful, very inspiring. One thing is to read it and uh, take it mm -hmm. in. Another thing is to actually put it into practice. Oh, so true, because the question that follows, am I bearing those fruits, is, okay, why not? Why or why not? And that's when the, the difficulty begins as we start to peel back the layers and uh, realize the ways that we can grow. But, of course, we have so many opportunities for growth, especially in the ways that, that Pope Francis drew our attention to today, uh, attending the Holy Mass, receiving the Holy Eucharist, and of course, praying there in front of the Holy Eucharist. And today, Pope Francis in, it reminded 
all the faithful of the huge responsibility that everyone has to proclaim Christ crucified, to proclaim the risen Christ to all, and a reminder that the proclamation should be enlivened by the breath of the spirit of love, because it is love alone that possesses the power to attract, and the power to change the human heart, John. Ashley, uh, the, the Holy Father really likes to keep it to, to basics. I mean, this is uh, the fundamental mm-hmm. message of our uh, Christian, of our Catholic faith. I mean, it's it's about love. It reminds me of, I believe uh, it was St. John of the Cross who said that at the end of our lives, we're going to be judged on whether or not we were people of love. Ugh, yes, exactly. And, you know, the Pope admitted today that the teaching really does pose a challenge for, for all of us, for our communities of faith. But a reminder that the beauty of faith in, in Jesus Christ, it, it can't, you know, it has to be something that can only come from the fruitfulness of love. And that love has to be nourished by prayer. And when those things are happening, that's when we see peace and joyful Uh, enjoy that flow from that. That's the witness of those fruits of the Spirit alive in our hearts. So fortunately, we have a little bit of a formula for how to do it too. Yeah, and the reminder of spending time in prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament, of receiving the Holy Eucharist. I mean, it's a reminder, but it's 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 the absolute truth that the Holy Father is passing on uh, to all of us. I mean, there there is power in the Holy Eucharist. There's power in praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And the, the, again, these are just basic fundamentals that we all need to just uh, be reminded of uh, on a regular basis. Right, exactly. Getting back to the basics, it sounds simple, but it sure is refreshing to just take a look at at, uh, the brass tacks that we need in order to create that foundation for our faith life. So today was really meant to be a reminder of that. Uh, On another note, uh, there's been speculation for some time, um, and apparently Pope Francis will finally meet uh, with uh, President Biden uh, at the Vatican uh, this week. I believe it's this Friday. Um, There's a little bit of controversy uh, about this meeting. This will be uh, Biden's first meeting uh, with the Holy Father as the president. He has met him in the past. Yes. And uh, as Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore recently said, you know, it's clear that the Pope doesn't agree with the president about abortion. And he's made that very clear. So that is one of the most contentious issues, of course, going into this meeting. Uh, We are are waiting to hear exactly what the discussion will be about. No, many are speculating about the meeting, what's going to come out of it. Uh, It was assumed that Biden and Pope Francis would meet a couple of months ago when President Biden was in Europe, because typically the U.S. president does meet the Pope when coming to Europe, but that did not happen. So uh, all you know, people are watching to know what, to see what is going to come out of this meeting. Many have pointed to Pope Benedict XVI's meeting with President Obama. And after that meeting, it was made clear by the Vatican that the men had discussed bioethical issues, had discussed concerns of life. And the Pope also gave President Obama a copy of the CDF document, the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith document, Persona Dignitatis. Now that document was, of course, 
course, on the dignity of the human person. So I'm sure Pope Benedict XVI was hoping that President Obama was going to read that on the plane ride home, and hopefully he did. So now we are hoping and praying for something similar to come out of Friday's meeting and that the Vatican will put out a clear, definitive statement afterwards, John. Let's Ashley, see what happens. The reason that this is newsworthy is because uh, President Biden is the first Catholic president since President John F. Kennedy uh, back uh, in the 1960s uh, to uh, meet uh, the, 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 well, actually the first uh, Catholic president since uh, uh, President Kennedy, because obviously um, mm-hmm. there haven't been any since. And so there haven't been any other presidents uh, that are Catholic that have met with the Holy Father. Right, exactly. And so at this point, uh, it is certainly a monumental meeting. And although the U.S. National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, at this point has generally said that the topics would be around things like migration, income inequality, etc. So hopefully those important moral issues will also be on the docket, John. Let's see what happens. For sure. And we've discussed here on the show, in fact, we talked about it with you, uh, all the many times that the Holy Father uh, has spoken very clearly uh, about the sanctity of life, uh, walking in the footsteps of uh, St. John Paul II, uh, you know, proclaiming the importance of uh, protecting and defending human life. Mm-hmm, exactly. He's certainly been unequivocal. That most recent statement uh, in those very memorable words, abortion is murder. So uh, the yeah, they, you know, that's certainly something that cannot be, um, his stance cannot be argued with. It's very clear where he's coming from. So we hope and pray that the, the President of the United States will also have a change of heart and the, that the conversation will be a fruitful one. Absolutely. That, that's definitely a, a, a good prayer for, for all of us. We, we need to mm-hmm. continue to pray for all of our leaders, including our president. Um, on another note, uh, I understand that uh, Rome uh, has a new heart a mobile clinic that's uh, yes. flying around the city. What's going on? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. So it's a very interesting initiative, John. It's called the Streets of the Heart. And this mobile clinic is actually has started in Rome. It's going all through all different stops in Rome, and it's eventually going to go all throughout Italy. And the point is to raise awareness about the prevention of cardiovascular diseases. So sadly, the rate of heart attacks in 2020 in Italy uh, tripled. So imagine that in compared to just the year before, uh, according to the Italian Society of Cardiology, the numbers skyrocketed. And then due to fear of the coronavirus, only one in two heart patients actually did follow up visits. And so from that reality, this mobile clinic was born and it's being staffed by doctors from Rome's San Carlo di Nancy Hospital. And so one of the uh, one of the, the special and most publicized stops that the mobile clinic made was on Monday, they stopped at St. Peter's Square. And so for there for, for nine hours, they saw around 100 people. Now, they were specifically aiming to serve uh, homeless in the area. Uh, They were saying that this day was dedicated to the least. And that is because there are, sadly, a lot of homeless people who sleep outside of the colonnades of St. Peter's Basilica every night. And, of course, their other goal is to build a general awareness about the 
importance of ongoing heart health. Uh, sadly, 35.8% of deaths in Italy are due to heart-related issues. So we're going to be seeing the, the Heart Mobile Clinic, the streets of the heart, as it's called, driving around Rome for the next few days until heading on to other destinations throughout the country, John. Ashley, I can't uh, help but wonder, uh, does this have anything to do with uh, Italian food that we all love? Or uh, is there any other explanation why uh, the rate in 2020 would go up three times? Yeah. It seems kind of uh, uh, unusual. Well, it is, and especially because the Mediterranean diet is actually typically hailed to be heart healthy. So uh, this is, they're, they're trying to find right now connections between COVID. It's the idea where people are more sedentary at home. Was it because uh, people were experiencing an unusual amount of stress and fear? So these kinds of things are being linked to it right now as they're doing some further study to understand. Well, it'll definitely be interesting uh, to see uh, the, the results of, uh, of all this good work that's being done with these, uh, these mm -hmm. mobile heart uh, units, these uh, um, streets of the heart <laughs> that are going yes. on in the yes. Eternal City. Uh, Ashley, we need to take a, a little break, but uh, we're going to continue our conversation with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Norona. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Bringing Rome to home. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 45 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks for joining us this morning as we continue our conversation across the pond all the way to the Eternal City with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona. Ashley, uh, welcome back. Oh, thank you, John. It is, I'm so happy to be here, and it's just an amazing thing that from across the pond, I get to bring Rome to home. It's always a pleasure. It is amazing. You think about the technology. It sounds like yes. you're sitting right here in the studio right next to me. Oh, I wish I were. <laughs> <laughs> or I wish you were here in Rome. That would be That would be too. even better. I, I, I'm <laughs> due for a visit. It's been too many years since my last uh, mm -hmm. visit to Roma. Um, Ashley, um, there's been uh, news uh, that uh, a Vatican Cardinal uh, has made a, a diplomatic visit to, to the war-torn country of Syria that continues mm -hmm. to be in a, in a civil war for uh, now a decade. Uh, what's going on? Uh, what's the latest with that story? story. Yes. John, and this is especially making big news because this is the Vatican's first official intervention after uh, a number of years ago when they hosted the Prayer for Peace here at, at the Vatican at St. Peter's Basilica. And incidentally, as a side note, my husband John and I uh, were asked to represent the United States during that 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 particular prayer service, and it was so moving and powerful. But right now, the Italian Cardinal Leonardo Sandri, he's the prefect for the Congregation of Eastern Churches. He is in Syria. So he arrived on Monday and will stay until the 3rd of November. And the goal, well, the goal is to visit those those forgotten Catholic communities of Syria, these people who have been tried by years of war and are just really in need of, of a pastor and uh, feeling as though 
they have not been forgotten. Now, around 87% of Syrians are Muslim. The Christian population is around 10%. But that is the, the official um, number that really hasn't been able to take into account the large number of Christians who have fled over the last years during this ongoing war. So during these eight days, Cardinal Sandri is going to make various stops. He'll go to Damascus, he'll go to Tartus, Homs, Yabrud, Malula, and Aleppo as well. And Aleppo, what was Syria's largest city, had the highest percentage of Christians before the civil war, about 180,000 Christians. At in 2019, it was last estimated that it had dropped to 32,000 Christians. So this meeting really means a lot. So he is going to celebrate a divine liturgy with the, the patriarch there, the lead, leader of the Melkite Greek church. He will have meetings with priests. He will visit Catholic charities, Catholic hospitals, he'll visit an orphanage. And he's also going to meet male and female religious in the area. And he'll meet them, in fact, at the Memorial of St. Paul. Now, this is the very memorial that is believed to mark the spot of St. Paul's conversion. Remember, where Saul would have fallen from his horse on the road to Damascus. And so, uh, this is really an opportunity, of course, for the Vatican to to bring morale uh, and encouragement to these suffering people. I spoke to this morning a member of SOS Christians of the Orient, and they offer aid to Christians in Syria. They have permanent missions there. They bring essential supplies and emergency needs like food, water, blankets, electricity. Uh, they've also engaged in rebuilding projects, agricultural projects, etc. cetera. Uh, they say that the needs are countless. They say the situation is alarming. Uh, the task there is immense. So many thanks to SOS Christians of the Orient, the work they're doing. And we hope that this visit of Cardinal Sandri of the Vatican will really bring attention to the needs and suffering of these people, especially the Christians there in Syria, John. It's It sounds like a, a tremendous um, uh, visit for the Cardinal and mm -hmm. to be able to be there at the very spot where St. Paul had his conversion. Uh, mm -hmm. It will be very special. And we need to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters uh, of the Eastern rites, of, of the other rites of, of, of our Catholic yes. faith. There, there's so many rites that uh, a lot of times folks yes. forget that there's 20 plus rites in the Catholic faith, and not just the Roman rite, yeah. but, you know, our uh, uh, Melkite uh, Greek Catholics, uh, mm -hmm. the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, we need to continue to pray for all of them. Exactly. And yeah, in addition, in Syria itself, they also have, have the Latin, the Armenian, the Syriac, and Eastern Orthodox churches there. So exactly, our brothers and sisters in Christ who we have to keep very near and dear to our hearts, John. Well, uh, fall has definitely begun here in the mm -hmm. States. Uh, it's, it's a little nippy here in the morning. I understand that weather is also making news in Italy. What's going on with the, with the floods uh, taking uh, oh. place uh, there in Italy? Yes, you know, imagine there's actually red alert warnings right now in Sicily and as well as Calabria. There's just extreme weather, especially the city of Catania in Sicily has been absolutely devastated by floods. There are at least two reported deaths right now and uh, the, the violent storms are continuing. So 
what's happening is that the streets are, are basically submerged, businesses, schools, everything's closed. Only emergency uh, places like pharmacies are allowed to be open at this point. Uh, there is a report of a 53-year-old man who, who drowned. He was getting out of his car, carried away by the waters. There was is also a 67-year-old man who drowned and his wife has not yet been found. There have been landslides. And uh, in the meantime, there's also, and from the agricultural perspective, there's great concern for crops, for the olive harvest. And uh, they're wondering if this severe weather could actually turn into a, a very rare Mediterranean cyclone. It's known as the Medicane. And so they're concerned that as soon as tomorrow, we could have a Medicane. So Please continue to, to keep the people of this area in your prayers of Sicily, of Calabria, and also particularly of Catania as they're dealing with this flooding and this very severe weather, John. And I'm sure this is something that's uh, hitting home for our friends in New England who have been experiencing uh, some severe weather themselves with the, the nor'easter mm -hmm. that's going on uh, there. Uh, you also have a story uh, to share about a newly beatified holy young woman who, who dedicated her entire life to serving the poor. That's right, exactly. In fact, she is our church's newest beatified person on the 24th of this month. She was baptized, or excuse me, she was beatified by a mass the prefect for the congregation of uh, the causes of saints. And in his homily, he spoke about her heroic faith. And in fact, just three days before the tragic accident that took her life, this young girl named Sandra Sabatini, she had written in her diary about her life. She said, it's not mine. It's, it's beating by a regular breath that is not mine. It's enlivened by a peaceful day that is not mine. And so this this beautiful example of her personal surrender. And even from when she was a little girl, John, people noted, people saw that Sandra was different. She often carried a little rosary in her hand. As a little girl, she would go and pray in front of the Eucharist, kneeling so sweetly, bowing her head. In fact, uh, because her family moved into her uncle, who was a priest, into his parish, she had access to the church in the middle of the night, would get up and pray right there in front of the Eucharist. Eucharist. Now, uh, when she was 12, she met uh, the priest who founded the John the 23rd community, and they emphasized service to the poorest and the weakest in society. So she began to volunteer. She volunteered with people with disabilities, with drug addicts. Eventually, she enrolled in medical school at the University of Bologna because it was her dream to one day serve as part of medical missions in Africa. But then dear Sandra Sabatini at just 22 years old was on her way to a meeting of the Pope John the 23rd community. She stepped out of a car and she and a friend were hit then by a passing car. Uh, she was rushed to a hospital. She spent three days in a coma and then died on the 2nd of May of 1984. So newly beatified just a few days ago. So with that said, with that 
said, we ask that blessed Sandra Sabatini pray for us, John. Absolutely. Um, we will definitely uh, keep her in our prayers and ask for her prayers as well. Blessed Sandra Sabatini. Uh, there's a couple of celebrations going on in Rome. And uh, of course, we have the feast of uh, St. Simon and Jude uh, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. How is all this yeah. going to be celebrated? John, not many people realize that there are actually relics of St. Simon and Jude in St. Peter's Basilica. So this is where tomorrow pilgrims will come from throughout the city to pray, especially in the chapel of St. Joseph. Of course, on this year of St. Joseph, it just happens to be in that chapel where those relics are kept. So we remember those great saints. This is a special uh, time to invoke the intercession of St. Jude, the patron saint of impossible causes, and ask these great saints on their feast, who we will celebrate here in Rome as well, to pray for us, John. Well, Ashley, as always, uh, thank you so much. Uh, so much uh, information coming uh, from uh, Rome and the Vatican. We really appreciate uh, you bringing Rome to home. Happy to be with you. Grazie, John. Grazie to you. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Brother's Keeper by Boyd Hooper with Care 11 TV in Minneapolis, St. Paul. To the uninitiated, a high school cross-country race can appear to be an exercise of every man for himself. The uninitiated would do well to meet 14-year-old Susan Bergman. With a pop of the starter's pistol, a wave of runners speed off on their 3.1-mile course, while Susan bears down and spins the bearings on the wheelchair that carries Jeffrey Bergman, Susan's 15-year-old brother. He loves running, said the Chippewa Falls high school runner. I think it helps me to get even closer to my brother. Susan was just a year old when Jeffrey, then 22 months old, suffered a sudden cardiac arrest that deprived his brain of oxygen for 20 minutes. Jeffrey was left with severe brain damage and a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. They've always had this very close relationship, and she's never really seen him any other way, says Jess Bergman, the mom of Susan and Jeffrey. They've grown up together, and this has always been her normal. The extent of Jeffrey's injuries make traditional adapted high school sports impossible, so his sister began thinking of activities in which she and her brother could compete as a team. She didn't have to look far for inspiration. Both Jess and her husband are distance runners who push Jeffrey in their races. But Susan would be pushing more than her body weight during a season's worth of practices and meets and doing it on uneven surfaces and grass. Her mother suggested it might be too much for a 14-year-old. Perhaps it would be best to leave behind that pressure and run alone. And she looked at me as if I'd grown two heads. She's like, this is not an option. We're doing it. Susan's mother recalls. I was so proud of her. Roger Skifstead, Chippewa Falls cross-country coach, admits to some early concerns. This really is unprecedented in Wisconsin, says the coach. I was worried. We were all worried. The only one not worried seemed to be Susan. I'm a very competitive person, so I almost feel like I have a point to prove, she says. Still frequent and sometimes steep hills on a typical cross-country course lie in wait. Come on, Jeffrey, where are you? I need you right now, Susan calls out to her brother as she struggles up a steep, grassy incline. Physically, Jeffrey is unable to answer, but her sister feels his presence and guts her way up the hill. Mentally, I just push away the pain and focus on him enjoying it, she says. A smile spreads across Susan's face as gravity gives her a hand on the downside of the hill. Freshman runner also draws energy from the crowds gathered on each side of the course. Hearing everyone screaming and cheering gives me a big adrenaline rush, she says. Susan's path to the starting line was no cakewalk either. The Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, which regulates the state's high school sports, agreed that Susan and Jeffrey could run together but not compete in an official capacity. So the siblings' race times are neither logged nor counted like those of the other runners. 
The coach and parents are lobbying to change that. They envision a day when a duo division might be added to high school races to give more teens like Jeffrey a chance to participate with an able-bodied runner. We'd love to see the day where people aren't like, that's different, it's just normal, said Jordan Bergman, Susan and Jeffrey's dad. Her race, run in under 34 minutes, Susan catches her breath and bends down to congratulate her older brother. Nice job, dude, she tells Jeffrey, reaching out a hand to touch him. We're PRing at conference, okay? A few minutes later, brother and sister will occupy a space near the back of the crowd as medals are handed out to runners with better times. Susan cheers loudly for her teammates. A sibling bond is stronger than any other bond you could have, she says. Susan and Jeffrey didn't leave the meet with a medal. They didn't need to. Their bond is already golden. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn, coming up in the next hour. Our spiritual director today, Father Marcel Tyone, will talk to us about the importance of the sacrament of confession. If you haven't gone for a while, please listen up. And career coach Bruce Lockenauer will take your calls as we discuss managing your career and landing your dream job. Stay with us. There's much more to come here on Morning Air next hour on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.